statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. When your son asks you in times to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out of there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commanded before the Lord our God as he commanded us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, again, I want to say uh, welcome to everyone. Uh, thankful that you've been here today. A special welcome to family and friends who've come in for the baptisms. You were most welcome here. Uh, my name is Gray again, and if we haven't met yet, I would love to meet uh, after the service. We've been in the book of Philippians. Looking passage by passage, that's our kind of normal uh, course of, of preaching. But today uh, is a special day, and, and on this, these types of occasions, we sometimes do what we call occasional sermons. And it seemed appropriate today as we receive new, new young members into our church and as we uh, receive 
into baptism, these covenant children that we take today to talk about what it means to follow God's Word in instructing them, in raising them as Christian children. And so we thought it'd be good to take a break for today in in the Philippians and to look at that from this classic passage in, in Deuteronomy. And before we dive into looking at how we do this, let's ask for God's help in prayer. Our Father, we are full already. We are full of your goodness and grace to see these families so marked. It's the beauty of generation to generation that your promise is still true. It's still good. That you are the God to us and to our offspring after us. And so we come in full, but we come to your word also to be filled again. You have revealed yourself. You've given us yourself in these words. And I pray that today as we give our attention to them, that you would work by your spirit to show us the gospel and show us how it is that we live in this world as we seek to raise our children, not just those that might be ours, but every child in this church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Cormac McCarthy died less than a month ago. This is a, uh, a genius writer. He's won many awards, a uh, personal favorite of mine. He has um, a best-selling book called The Road, among many other Blood Meridian and, and other books that have had an impact and won Pulitzer Prizes. And these books are so powerful, and The Road is one of my personal favorites. It's a book about um, a post-apocalyptic father and son. Some kind of major event has all but destroyed humanity. We don't know what the event is. They live in a desolate place, and this father and the son are walking together down the road, down the main thoroughfare, and it's about their travels. And, and one of the things in this dark world that, that McCarthy highlights and draws out for us is that this father and son are different. They're different because, as they say, we carry the fire. They tell each other, almost like it's a liturgy, like a worship service that we're talking about here, we're the good guys, right? We're the good guys. We carry the fire. We carry the fire. What do they mean by we carry the fire? Well, it seems to be a metaphor that stands for lots of different things. It's, on the one hand, it's hope, as in how we say, let's keep the fires burning. We, we hope for things, and so they were the ones who held the hope that, that life would continue in, in this dark world. But it's also a reference to their moral purity. In this dark, post-apocalyptic place where they walk, There is uh, vandalism, there is murder, there is cannibalism, there is all the darkness of human depravity, and in the midst of that, they say, we're the good guys, because we carry the fire. You could say that the fire is what distinguishes them from the world, this dark world that they live in. Well, the Father is slowly dying throughout the whole book, and in the scene where 
he dies near the end, he mentions again the fire. And I just wanted to read the short passage if I can get through it. (laughs) Where he's laying on the ground and his son comes up to him and he says, you're going to be okay, Papa. You have to. No, I'm not. Keep the gun with you at all times. You need to find the good guys, but you can't take any chances. No chances, do you hear? I want to be with you. You can't. Please, you can't. You have to carry the fire. I don't know how to. Yes, you do. Is it real? The fire? Yes, it is. Where is it? I don't know where it is. Yes, you do. It's inside you. It's always been there. I can see it. Just take me with you, please. I can't. Please, Papa. I can't. You said you wouldn't ever leave me. I know. I'm sorry. You have my whole heart. You always did. You're the best guy. You always were. If I'm not here, you can still talk to me. You can talk to me and I'll talk to you. You'll see. Will I hear you? Yes, you will. You have to make it like talk that you can imagine and you'll hear me. You have to practice. Just don't give up, okay? Okay. On his dying words, the father gives the son the fire. He gives them the hope. He gives them the moral purity. He tells them this is what distinguishes you from the world. This is McCarthy's most Christian book. We don't know if he was a Christian or not. He was a recluse. Even though there's some hints that he said he was looking into this. But this is the closest picture we have of his hope. And Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, is reminding the people of God, you carry the fire. Literally, he uses that language just a chapter before when he says, God spoke to you from the fire, from the mountain. The fire is God's presence and God's holy law. That this, this, this pillar of fire that followed the people of Israel that reminded them that God is near and God is holy and God is a consuming fire. And He was there amongst them and God spoke from the fire. And now Moses is saying, you need to remember what He spoke to you and you need to give it diligently to your children. You carry the fire. What distinguishes you and your children from the rest of the world? So the question this morning I want us to ask as we spend a few minutes together is this, how do we instruct children to carry the faith? I'm not normally this direct and this, you know, uh, prescriptive, I guess, in in our teaching, but I felt like today was a good day for us to, to just get down to business and to say, how do we actually do this? And to look at God's Word. And there's so much to say, but the three ways that I want us to talk about this is this. This is how we instruct children how to carry the faith. It's through our postures, it's through rhythms, and through story. Postures, rhythms, and story. First, this morning, 
postures. This is our way of being, believing, and behaving in the world. Postures. What are the postures that we have towards God and towards our children that instruct them in the faith? Number one would be this. A heart that loves God yourself. Look with me at verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Then you shall teach them diligently to your children. Do you see Moses' order here as he gives this instruction? He says, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. You need to love God with everything. And then you teach it to your children. This is the first posture that we have. This is the previous step to instructing children in the faith is having faith ourselves. You cannot pass the fire to your children if you don't carry the fire yourself. And in fact, this promise is to be the most important thing in our, in our parenting, and in, this goes out to every single one of us who have made the promise that we did earlier in these baptisms. We know that knowledge and instruction are more caught than taught. More caught than taught. Maybe you've heard that before. What it means is that what we end up doing and being ends up instructing more than our actual words of instruction. Our children catch who we are. And this is so challenging to all of us, to me included. More than anything else, our children look to us and see without us telling them what we love what we desire, what we delight in, what we spend our time on. The first step in instructing children is to have a posture of a heart toward God ourselves. The second posture is this, a posture of responsibility to children. Now, you may think that I'm only talking to parents this morning, but I'm not. If you're here and you are young, you're single, uh, you're married with no kids, you have kids who are grown and out of the house, this goes out to all of us because who is the subject that Moses is speaking to here? He says in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You. Who is the you that is there? It's Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Who is Israel? Israel is us, the people of God, the church. I won't take the time to prove that to you from the Scriptures, but it can be easily done. We all, by profession of faith, are part of God's people. And the responsibility for children is all of ours. The children of the church are everyone's responsibility. And of course, this command goes specifically to parents in a powerful way. And it challenges us who are parents. But this is a collective command. This is for all of us. The, the ones of us who said this morning as we agreed to those, that vow, right, that I will support the parents and the support and nurturing of these children. The children of Israel 
are all of our children. The final posture that we need to have is a trust in the covenant of God. I want you to note that as Moses gives us this instruction in Deuteronomy 6, he's including children from the earliest days. They are part of God's people. They have covenant promises. From the very beginning, the children of believers, the children of Israel and the children of believers are in the covenant. This is what the Scripture tells us. Genesis 17, 7 says this, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God's promise, the covenant promise, comes to those who receive it and believe, but also to their children. Now you may say, well, that's just, maybe that's just an Old Testament thing. Maybe that was true of Israel, but it's not true for us now. But we go to the New Testament, Acts chapter 2. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, says this, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. The children, they have their own category there. It's to you and to your children. They are the expected heirs. They are different from the world. All those who are far off who respond by faith, of course, can come in as well. But the promise is for you and for your children. They are different from the world. And so we have a trust in the covenant. What does this mean, practically speaking, for instructing them? It means that we as Christian parents and as Christians who take responsibility for the children of this church should posture ourselves toward children like they are included. Not like they are unbelievers who need to be evangelized, but as the expected heirs of the faith. I've already mentioned that children must have their own faith, of course. They may leave the faith. They can reject their baptism. They can, sadly, walk away from God. But our posture towards them is one of inclusion until proven otherwise. We teach them, Jesus loves me. This I know. Not Jesus might love you. If you reach a certain age and then have enough maturity to trust, Jesus loves me. This I know. It's not about maturity. It's actually about faith. And faith of a child is faith. Jesus, when He is teaching us about the kingdom of God, in fact says that they are the model of faith. You must become like a child. In one way, maturity works in an opposite direction. We think we need to grow up so that we can then learn how to please God. But in many ways, we learn how to please God when we grow down, when we become like a child. And so our posture towards children is this. They are included. They are part of God's covenant. And this is so comforting to those of us who have children and some of you I know, and I, I can't talk about this long this morning, you have children who have walked away from the faith. What do we do about that? We continue to love them. We continue to listen. But we also trust in God's promises, not in their maturity. 
they, of course, can walk away. But it's often the case that God brings them back. And I've seen this in my own family. That God's faith, the faith of my parents has brought others in our family back to Him over time. So posture is important. How do we think about these things? Do we have a love of the Lord ourselves? Have we taken responsibility that God says, you shall teach them diligently? Have we trusted in God's promises, not in our ability or our maturity? Let's talk about rhythms. The rhythms is the other way that we teach our children. And this answers the when question for us. Look at verse 7 with me. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. When am I supposed to do this teaching diligently of children? Well, the answer is in the rhythms of your daily life. In the rhythms of your daily life. Now, these rhythms can be structured or they can be unstructured. It can be structured when you sit in the house. Well, maybe you all sit in the house together at dinner. It's a wonderful time to be together, to talk through things, to to talk about spiritual things. It could be When you sit down to Sunday lunch, perhaps you have a certain morning or a certain afternoon or a certain evening that's more free for your schedule, and and you can be together and you can talk about these things. Maybe it's at bedtime prayers. Maybe it's on Christian holidays in particular ways. The point is this. What are those structured rhythms? Unstructured rhythms are just as important. He says... As you walk by the way, as things come up, what kind of things come up? Well, maybe when you or your children meet someone who is experiencing homelessness, that's an, that's an opportunity that the Lord has put in your path. Do you talk about it? Maybe you see a billboard and there's some kind of message on it that is against the faith, or maybe it's um, outside of what we would believe. Is that, is that an opportunity? Perhaps your child says something like this, I'm so bad. And you take the opportunity to talk to them about grace. And I know that that listing these things like this is so overwhelming uh, at at times. And you may say, I don't know how to teach them. I'm I'm not really interested in the when question so much as the how. I haven't been trained myself uh, with, with how to teach them. But it's not programmatic. It's personal. And my conviction is that if we create the rhythms, the content will come. If we create the rhythms, the content will come. Conversations will happen if there's a time and place for them to happen. Things will come up. Questions, burdens, joys, sorrows, fears. If we create the rhythms, we will know what to talk about. I understand that people want to know what it is that we need to teach our children in terms of the Bible, and 
and there, there are some helps. There are catechisms out there. There are storybook Bibles. Um, you can just teach your children the very basics of the Lord's Prayer, the, the Apostles' Creed, and the Ten Commandments. That's what all the catechisms are based off of, those three things. That would be a great place to start. But again, if we create the rhythms, the content will come. One of the most beautiful and countercultural things that we can do I think especially as urban city dwellers, most of us in here, is to create Christian rhythms. Rhythms are important. I'll tell you about the rhythms in my family growing up. I had uh, a father who took Sunday mornings to be with me. We were up at 6 a.m. and we would go to a small country church in Mississippi where I grew up. And it was a morning where he spoke with me and it was full of ritual and rhythm. He'd put my socks on me while I was still asleep, laying in bed. I would just stick my feet up in the air, and every single week, he would just slide my socks on for me because I was too tired to get up. All right, I went downstairs. He had made coffee for us. I started drinking coffee when I was seven years old with my dad. All right, we drove for 30 minutes to this church. We talked on the way. Sometimes there'd be 10 minutes of silence. It didn't matter. We would pray with these older men, uh, and then we would drive back home, and we'd stop at the same Shell station where he would fill up on his weekly tank of gas, and then he would send me in with $1.25 to get one can of Coke and one package of peanut butter crackers, and three for me, three for him. We shared the Coke. This was every single week for 10 years. All rhythm. Not all of it was structured. I remember one morning when my dad told me that he and my mom had been praying that I would be sensitive to God's call in my life if he had called me into ministry. This happened when I was seven years old. And he didn't plan that for the day. It just came up in conversation. Here I am. It doesn't have to be structured. It's good to have structured rhythms, but, but there are moments as well when we can see these things in our daily life, wherever we're going, as we walk by the way, when we lie down and the children are laying in bed and we're speaking to them. These are the moments that we share our faith. It's through posture. It's through rhythms. It's through story. Read with me verse 20 and following when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes." And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us a land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. Moses envisions a time, and I think all of us should envision a time when a child is going to ask us, why should I follow God? And it will be up to us, Israel, not just parents. It'll be up to us to get the story right. Don't worry, it's not complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. What is the story? Well, he says, 
In that day, you will tell them we were slaves in Egypt. God rescued and redeemed us. He destroyed our enemies, and now He gives us every good thing. We came into a land, and we have all these things. that We have cisterns that we didn't dig. We have all this abundance that we didn't create. God did that for us. What does it mean to tell the story right? It means that we get the gospel and law in the right order. What do I mean? The story is this. God redeemed you. Now follow Him. God redeemed you. Now follow Him. Never backwards. That's how we would get the story wrong. The story is not that God came to His people and said, if you will obey Me, and I see enough obedience, then I will free you. No, He freed God's people. He freed His own people. And He cherished them and loved them and brought them out of that place. And then He gave them the law. And He said, now I have some commandments for you to follow. This is the story. It's repeated in the Ten Commandments themselves. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. You shall love the Lord your God with all You shall have no other gods before me, excuse me, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, but it comes into a story of grace. What does that mean? Grace comes before law. Redemption comes before rules. Relationship comes before expectations. That's the story. And if we get this story right, we instruct our children If you could summarize the story of your parenting, what story does it tell? Is it a story of grace? Or is it a story of performance, or of obedience, or of disappointment, or of exasperation, or of annoyance? In other words, do our children know, first and foremost, that they are loved, known, cherished, that you value your relationship with them above all else, that you delight in them. We must instruct our children in obedience. We must expect it. We must enforce it 100% as God did with His people. But the people of God always had reason to believe that they were special. They obeyed out of love. That's getting the story right. That's what the way that we talk to our children graciously. I know in, in hearing a sermon like this, there's so much that comes up, and it's good to talk about. It. It's good to be crushed a little bit by it. As we think about, do I have the right postures? Have I done that? Maybe we think past in our past, maybe we weren't walking with the Lord so much and we raised children, and it just it, it shames us. Do I have the right rhythms? Do I have enough rhythms? Am I telling the story right? Or do my kids really kind of think that obedience is the main thing? These are crushing questions. And when those questions crush us, us adults of Ascension Church need to remember this. We are also the children of God. And the story is, that God has graciously loved us in our failings, even in our parenting failings. If we run to Jesus, 
will not find a stern face and arms crossed. We have a better story than even the Israelites had. Their story is our story. The story of the Passover out of Egypt is part of our story as well, but we have a greater Passover. We have the Passover lamb himself, Jesus Christ, who was perfectly obedient to the Father and whose Father loved him perfectly. And when we are in him, we are all God's children. All of us need his grace. And so if we run to him with our imperfections, he will give us that grace. In fact, that's a great way to start talking to your kids anyway. It's with your own failures. Because the greatest gift you could give your kids is to say that I have failed, but God loves me and I love you. This is the gospel. And so we need the story ourselves. Posture, rhythms, and stories. I want to end today. I know we're going, we have a long service today. Thank you for your patience. We did buy you donuts. So there's that. There's some specific challenges I just want to close with today to our, to our church. So those of you, this is our church home. We have made a promise today to these families, and we did so with families that came before them, to teach, to, to support the parents of this church. That means we made a promise to encourage and pray for and know these children. And the studies are clear that one of the greatest things that you can do for a child is to befriend them and not be their parent. One of the greatest things for their faith. Do you know these children? Can you befriend them? Can you pray for them? Can you support the parents? And one of the ways that you can support the parents is supporting them here at the church. I won't put a number on the board, if you don't mind. Throw that up there on the board, on the screen. 51. That's the number of children in this church. 51 children in this church. And there's more in the oven, okay? Not even counting them yet, okay? 51 children come to this church. Now, here's the other thing. Nearly half of them, okay, nearly half of them are under the age of three. So, we have a nursery, an infant and toddler problem around here. (laughs) And let me quickly add, what an amazing problem to have. I hope that we solve this problem in the short term, but I hope it's the same problem that we have in the long term, that we continue to be fruitful and multiply here and follow God's commands and bring these children into the church. We are growing this way, growing young in this way and, and old. It's, it's, it's amazing to see. But the problem is room and space. We are needing to add a new classroom for our kids' ministry. Uh, we have the cruisers. We have the climbers. We have the, which one am I missing? Cuddlers, don't, don't forget the cuddlers, cruisers, climbers, catechism. We're adding another one. I don't know what C word we're going to use yet for it, but it's got to be that. Uh, we're, we're adding another class so that we can make room for these younger kids. And one of the best ways that we can support both the parents here and the parents who may come is by providing that space for them. What if we thought of being part of the kids' team as the way that we do what we vowed to do earlier. 
What if we had one Sunday a month where whichever children God brought into the classroom where we were serving, those were the children that we were going to pray for for that day. Those were the parents that we were going to pray for. That was the child that we were going to get into their face and say, you are loved. You are known here. That was, that's the child that I'm, when I see them next week, I'm going to make sure that they remember who I am. You see, it's not just, hey, we have a problem here at the church and we need volunteers, okay? This is our calling to shepherd these children, to teach them, hear, O Israel, hear, hear this, Israel. You shall teach them diligently. And so we have great need of this. It's not going to be for everyone. You know, 25% of you are going to say it's not for whatever season. It's really impossible. We're gracious with those things. But we have a great need. What if 75% of us said, this is the way that I'm going to follow Deuteronomy 6? Is I'm going to, to show up and serve the parents once a month in this capacity. How do you do it? We sign up on our connection card that's in front of you. You can email Lily, our uh, kids team uh, intern. You can talk to Eric, who's in charge of our family ministries here. You can also sign up online on our website under the kids tab. There's a way to sign up and volunteer. But this is a way that we can follow this. And I know it's a lot, a lot, a lot to think about how we are parenting is overwhelming. Remember, we are the children of God. He has graciously brought us into this story. He is patient with our efforts, and He loves us so much so that He's given us His Son so that we, all of us, adult and children, can be brought into the family of God. And that is the good news. Let's pray. Father, wherever the overwhelm is found, I pray that there would be grace. If we're thinking about how we have failed, I pray that you would help us to know that in Christ we are not only forgiven but restored. If we're thinking about opportunities lost, help us to run to you and know that you are sovereign and that was part of your plan. If we are thinking about a situation for our children that we are anxious or nervous about, I pray, Father, that in Christ we would know that we can be anxious for nothing, but in everything, give with prayer and supplication, make our requests known to you. For wherever there is uh, overwhelm and crushing, you would provide the balm of the gospel. You would give us the grace to be able to parent and also to love the children of this church who are our own or not our own. They would all be our own because we are your people and these are our children and you have made special promises to them. And I pray that you would be pleased to use us to instruct them how to carry the faith forward. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.